Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. Appreciate it. Glad to be here today. It's been a long time since years ago. I remember being with you in the school and then in the little building, I think, down the road. And so it's nice to be gathered with you today. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open up the book of Matthew, chapter 6, it's going to be our launching point for a little bit. And then much beyond that is you may want to find a place to take a little bit of notes. I'm kind of jealous. Super church sounds fun. We're just in so-so church. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, familiar passage for you. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As you can tell by my emphasis on the word kingdom, that is the topic I want us to give our attention to this Lord's Day. For the record, I'm not going to be unpacking this particular verse as I often do, and kind of that's my mode, is just kind of working slowly through a given text. But rather what we're going to do is use this as a launching point to really kind of do a type of systematic theology, surveying what the entire Bible says about the kingdom of God. A phrase that we teach about, we pray about, we sing about, we refer often this idea of kingdom. And so this morning we want to get some handles on this domain that I pray many of you are members of, and I hope very soon all of you will be members of. But before we begin, on the study of the kingdom of God, let's pray. Father, we come and we just, we have lifted up your name in Scripture and through the Lord's Supper and through song, we come now just to spend some focused time around your Word. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to be your microphone for this moment. And if I were to stray one syllable, Father, would you remove me immediately as we are gathered only to hear from you and you alone. And so, Father, may we just look a little bit more like you when we leave here than when we showed up. All for your name, for your renown, and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It was in the fall of 1995, and I was a student at PJC, now PSC. It was in zoology class, and we were required to memorize the progression. Kingdom phylum, class order, family, genus, species. If I turned around and faced that way, I could say it backwards. But I remembered it. Kingdom phylum, class order, family, genus, species. That was the emphasis. And it really didn't matter what animal we were going to be studying throughout the semester, whether it was just going to be the little swallow, the giant gorilla, maybe the squid, whatever the animal may be, they all had to fit within the kingdom of animals. And in similar fashion for our time this morning, we're going to examine how the Christian life, the gathering of the church, all fit within this idea that we're familiar with in terms and in song and through prayers that Jesus referred to here, the kingdom of God. Three questions are really going to outline 
kind of give them an overview of the kingdom of God this morning. I pray that they'll serve you well. If not, lunch is coming in a little bit. Here's the three questions that really kind of guide our time for the next few moments. One, what is it? What is the kingdom of God? How do we relate to it? And what does it matter? The, last, the first will really be a little bit longer than the others to kind of moving a little faster through them. But so one, what is it? What is this kingdom of God that we sing about, we teach about, we pray about coming? A simple definition from the pocket dictionary of theological terms, I know everybody has a copy of that at home, is the dynamic reign or kingly rule of God. Let me just dial that in a little bit. We have been having a lot of conversations, especially this past week and over these next 10 days with the death of Queen Elizabeth. And so there's a lot more verbiage that we're interacting with on this idea of king or kingdom. And of course, now, of course, the conversation has been the shift from the queen to the king. But really at the heart here is that the kingdom is that territory over which the king reigns and give rulership. And since we understand that God is the creator of the entire world, it would make sense in our mind whenever we to read or to sing about this kingdom of God that's all throughout Scripture, we would think, okay, that is the area of which God is overseeing, and that's his realm. But if we're to look all throughout Scripture, there's a little bit more to it. At the heart of this theme is God's messianic kingdom, meaning his Messiah. It's the kingdom that is going to be ruled by God's appointed Messiah, his Savior. Now, this individual is not just going to be his the redeemer of people, meaning able to grab us from our sin and put us in a trajectory for salvation. He's also going to be our ultimate leader, our king. And so this coming of the kingdom of God that we sing about, we read about, we pray about, is speaking of the kingdom of the Messiah. Let me ask you just for a moment to think through what are some of the attributes of God? And give me just a couple to start with, and then you can kind of fill in with your own mind. God is just. He is good. God is holy, loving, righteous, patient. We really like that one. And there's a lot of other attributes that if you were just to list out the attributes of God, you'd get a really long list of descriptors of who God is. So such a society is one with all of these attributes of God. Imagine being under a government where the government leads according to those attributes. And within the kingdom of God, all of his attributes love, peace, goodness, anything else that just articulates there, that is what it's like to live under the government of the kingdom of God. Now, such a society was God's plan in the beginning. Genesis 1. And we also know from Scripture that that is how it is going to be one day. Revelation 21 tells us that. But let's just trace it just for a moment. In Genesis, Adam gave the first glimpse of what it is like to rule God's kingdom. In perfect Eden, God had put all of creation under his authority. 
Genesis 1, 28 through 31 tells us that, and then it is repeated in poetic reminders in Psalm 8. Yet sin entered Adam, and subsequently creation was cursed, it was corrupted, and then ultimately it collapsed. We move forward, fast forward just a few books into the Old Testament, and at this point, we see God's people seeking to establish the kingdom of God without a king. This is the period of the judges. They're seeking to make good judicious decisions, but there was no king. Yet despite all of their judicious attempts, still at their point, corruption endured, chaos endured, and even that kingdom of God was never realized. And then the people said, that didn't work. We want a king. And so they called a king, King Saul, a great physical example of what a king could be. But he too, corrupted in heart, corrupted in leadership, and he began to lead according to self-centeredness, brokenness, and bitterness. And so God removed the authority of the kingdom of God from him and gave it to another, David. Old David, boy, he was really close to being a great leader of the kingdom of God. He was described and known as a man after God's own heart. And then beyond him to Solomon, the wisest that has ever walked the earth. However, even through Solomon who expanded his territory, both David and Solomon, their leadership of the kingdom of God, it collapsed. These men caved morally, they caved politically, and they also caved spiritually. Following their failed attempts, as you were to walk through the Old Testament, you would see that there is this trying to bring about the holy kingdom of God. And in First and Second Kings, you will show the reality of what a kingdom is like when it is governed by pagan kings. As at this point in history, all God's people are off in exile. And then finally, all of these failed attempts tracked all throughout the Old Testament point to something better that is needed. Someone better that is needed. We get that idea in all the political environment that we've been in. What's every single campaign that comes on the TV? Vote for me, I'm better than the other person. Vote for me, I'm better than the other person. We see that nonstop. And right here, this someone who would come finally after generations of failed attempts would govern creation and God's people perfectly according to God's original design perfectly and in line with God's attributes. Love, patience, goodness, all those ideas. He would govern perfectly. Now, when my son was younger, I would want him to do some task around the house. He's 15 now, and I still want him to do some task around the house. But for some reason, I would ask him to do something, and he couldn't do whatever it might be. And so, what do you do as a parent if you, they can't do it? Well, you just yell louder down the hallway for them to do it. Couldn't do it for whatever reason. And so, what's the next best thing you do, especially if there's more than one kid? You send in the sibling. So, I'd sent Bailey, his older sister, down and say, Hey, Bailey, help Elijah do whatever. And for whatever reason, she wasn't able to handle it either. So what do you have to do as a parent? You have to get up and go down yourself to tackle whatever the task may be. 
Well, that same framework is what God had to move through in setting up the kingdom of God. He had sent people. He cranked up and sent his word. And ultimately, those tasks could not get done. So what did he do? He came himself. In the person of Christ Jesus, in order to set up his kingdom. We see that framework right here, I guys set it up. And if you recall, Jesus, he told Pilate during his interrogation, since God sent me because my kingdom is not of this world. Now, John the Baptist gave the introduction. Matthew 3, 2, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is right there around the corner. And Jesus gave the affirmation in Mark 1. Jesus said, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. And so now we have, through Jesus, the direct rule of God to the people of the world has become flesh. The word became flesh. All the justice and love and mercy that happens under the government of God is now embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. But Jesus knew that setting up the kingdom of God that we sing about, we pray about, we talk about, it, it requires a two-step verification process. Now, you have these phones, and whenever you have to authenticate stuff, it drives you nuts. I'm sorry, your action needs two-step authentication. You want to, like, throw it somewhere. Jesus knew that in order to set up the kingdom of God, it is a two-step process that he came to deliver to us. For instance, when we come to this framework right here, Jesus came to help sinful humanity become qualified to participate in his kingdom through his sacrifice and our repentance. Consider this from Mark 1. Jesus said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Your friends, know this, that the introduction by John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The affirmation by Jesus, I'm the kingdom of God, I'm the kingdom of heaven, here, delivered to you. This reality shows us that by nature, we are not automatically members of the kingdom of God. Now, many people think today, oh, I'm just a good person here in the Bible Belt, and oh, I'm just good morals, whatnot. So therefore, aren't we all just part of the kingdom of God? According to this text, by nature, we are by default not members of the kingdom of God. Our sin disqualifies us as such citizens of the kingdom of God. But our status can change. Listen to how Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6. Here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. So friends, by nature, we are disqualified from God's kingdom. But that was the reason for the cross. 
The reason Jesus came to this world was so that we might be able to be qualified for being members of God's kingdom. And then Jesus came as the doorway by which any individual, any repentant individual could walk through the doorway of Christ's life, his death, his burial, and resurrection so that then they could be forgiven of their sins and then be qualified to be members of the kingdom of God and be enjoying that for all eternity, which is heaven. I think we're hoping to head that direction. And so for the last 2,000 years, the registration window has been open for anybody who would like to be members of this kingdom of heaven. It's the registration window of grace, whereby any individual who puts their faith in Christ Jesus can be participants now in that eternal kingdom where Christ Jesus is directly ruling and governing and overseeing according to the perfect attributes of God. Loving, patience, justice, all of that nature. And as the old song says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Now this term in the Bible for the registration window that we are in right now, if you want to be a part of this kingdom of God, it's known as the church age. Those people from every tribe, nation, and tongue about the entire world, who have put their faith in Christ Jesus, those individuals have been adopted as children of God, and they have their name written in as citizens of heaven and the kingdom of God. And it is those people from around the world who comprise the global body of Christ, the universal church, and then organize themselves into local outposts such as Point Alberta these members of the kingdom of God. And it is through their gatherings that you have two responsibilities. You thought, I thought we had more. No, primarily have two. One, you are to go and invite the people of this community to register for God's kingdom through their repentance. This is the Great Commission. This is what you are to be participating in. And then the second responsibility is for you to govern yourselves, the way you make decisions as a church, the way you relationally interact with people. You're supposed to do so in a manner that looks like the character of God. That's the great commandment. So that when the world looks at you and they say, you know what, I see the way that Point Alberta I know there's a name change and whatever that lands to. I see the way that church interacts with each other. And it doesn't look like the way the rest of the world interacts with each other. But when they see the way you interact, the way you make decisions, it should be a reflection of the way that the kingdom of God makes decisions. What's the attributes of God? Justice, love, peace, forgiveness, patience, all of those attributes this community should be able to look at the manner y'all relate to each other and the process of governing, making decisions, and say, you know what? That's a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know the last time that you've gone to see a movie. I think the last one I got to see was the Top Gun movie. It's a good movie. 
But what kind of got your attention to actually see the movie? The trailer. Like, oh, man, that, that was neat. I remember that first one, but look at that one. That's coming. Kind of what the appetite for wanting to go see the thing. And see, friends, what happens is the way y'all relate to each other and make decisions, it should be so compelling that people want the actual thing for all eternity. The way you function and relate as a church, it's a trailer of the enduring and eternal kingdom of God. That's your standard by which you are to relate to each other. Think of it this way. The United States has embassies in nearly every country of the world. Those embassies represent America and its interests all over the world. And when somebody steps through those embassy gates, they are treated as though they are on American soil, even though they're not. But what needs to happen by the ambassador and those on the embassy grounds is that the embassy should conduct themselves in a manner that reflects the values of the homeland, America. So just as an embassy and American soil are related but not the same, so it is between the church and the kingdom of God. Theologian Wayne Grudem, he outlines these four distinctions. One, the church is not the kingdom of God. Here's why we say this. is because for Jesus and the early Christians, they went out to preach about the kingdom of God, not about the kingdom of the church. They also said, hey, we want you to preach the good news of the kingdom. They didn't send people out to go preach the good news of the church. The scripture also says that the kingdom creates the church. There's the global kingdom of God, and every person who steps by faith through the doorway into the kingdom of God is now able to be part of the fellowship of the local church. Also, the church witnesses to the kingdom, meaning as you go out into this community, you as the church, you tell other people about primarily about the kingdom. Your goal is not just to tell people about the church. And then finally, the church is the custodian of the kingdom. You have been given keys of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 16 says this. So while the local church is a taste of the kingdom of God, you have a responsibility as point to point people to the reality. So that as y'all relate to each other and function, people are like, oh, so that's what the kingdom of God's all about. I didn't get it anywhere else, but I see it in the way they relate to each other. So that's the kingdom of God. Very, very quickly. Now, how do we relate to it? There's three ways that we're supposed to relate to the kingdom of God. One, we pray for it. Two, we pursue it or prioritize it. And three, we proclaim it. First of all, let me just mention, we pray for it. We began in Matthew 6, the model prayer, the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer. It's had different titles. When we began the Lord's prayer, it says what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray now for the day when God's Messiah will come and rule. And thus our prayer is, God, in the midst of all the politics and all the frustrations and all the cancer and all the issues that are out there, our prayer is, God, we ask, would you just come and rule this place? You ever had frustrating days like that? You're flipping through the news and you're like, God, would you just come and just take over? We're praying, God, would your kingdom come? The second part of this is that we 
pursue or prioritize it. Matthew 6, Jesus begins to unpack this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he gave so many different examples of what the kingdom of God is all about. And even in that day, people were worried, they were frustrated, they were anxious, they were, what about this, what about that? Here's Jesus, he cut through all of it, he said, you know what? What you need to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Meaning, what he's saying here is that as you order all of your actions and all of your affections, put the kingdom of God first. Pursue what is right for the kingdom and then go after anything else, not just for what's comfortable and what's convenient. Prioritize conducting your life in your church around the attributes of God, not just what is convenient for you. This means your finances, your relationships, how you conduct your church, your public decisions, your private decisions. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make your decisions the way the kingdom of God would. And then all those other frustrations and anxieties and all those things you're worried about, they're going to fall into place after that. Can't tell you how many times some people have said, Brian, I got a unique situation. I know scripture says this very clearly. I'm supposed to do this. I know Jesus has laid out this pathway of decisions, but my, my example is an exception. <laughs> no, it's not. We're not above it. Christ has laid it out, so what do we do? Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, two ways this is often challenged in the American church. One is there is a priority of the individual over the community. Both ministers and members of churches in the church prioritize at times self above the kingdom of God. And what this happens is when anybody in the church says the, the highest goal is what's in it for me. So there's an opportunity, there's a decision for the church, there's major decisions that's coming. I know major decisions that's coming for y'all's church. And if the biggest decision is, well, how's this going to impact me? How does this affect me? What's, what about me? Instead of what about the kingdom of God? How is this going to advance the kingdom of God? Those are two different ways of handling whatever the decisions. Now, if not careful, if a church pursues the individualistic mindset instead of the kingdom, what's going to begin to happen is all those attributes that don't look like God are going to define your church. Instead of patience, you're going to be quick-tempered. Instead of pure, you're going to be bitter and corrupt. All of the ungodly characteristics are going to be the DNA of your church instead of the kingdom of God embracing DNA of your church. I'll say this, we have seen a culture of individualism rapidly expand over the last 15 years, often because of social media. Here's why I'll just say this real quick. If you look at most posts of people, or maybe even on your phones, more people have pictures of themselves than of others. The whole world of selfie. We're more interested about what happens to me than what is happening, happening to the world around us. The second part that holds this up when we think about pursuing and prioritizing it is when there's a priority over preservation over cooperation. 
So if you as the church view yourself, just this one body of Point Alberta, as the highest destination of gold, meaning church above kingdom, instead of what God has orchestrated here, remember kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species, instead of kingdom being the top and then church under that, if you reverse it and make just what happens here instead of the whole kingdom of God, number one, then your church will begin to use practices and tactics to preserve yourself at the expense of the overall kingdom of God. Here's what I mean. I operate, I'm able to coordinate a network of about 100 churches across the panhandle. And I often see where churches will say, you know what, we have an opportunity to reach this community. And so in order to do this, we could partner with this other church down the road. But if we partner with this other church and we see Joe Schmo comes to this and we share the gospel with Joe Schmo, Joe Schmo might decide to go to their church and our church, so their church would grow and our church would not go, so we're not going to partner together. Because what's the highest goal? Growing the church instead of growing the kingdom. But when we focus on growing the kingdom, God takes care of the church. Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. That's the framework that we have to have. The last of all, what we're to do is to proclaim it. Matthew 10. Jesus, he sent out the 12 disciples. He said, as you go, preach what? The kingdom of God is at hand. If you were to go to the very end of Acts, you will see Paul. He is sitting there for two years. He is preaching and writing the kingdom of God. Acts 28 says this. But may I make this observation that often happens in churches. Paul's priority of the kingdom of God, it runs opposite in the direction of the way so many churches can operate. Meaning, what happens with an American Christianity is a lot of money is spent on informing the community about the church and very little time and money is spent informing the community about the kingdom of God. So we spend all this energy telling the community, hey, let me tell you about the events that's happening at the church. And nobody in the community knows about the grace of Christ Jesus that can save us for all eternity. Imagine an ambassador going in whatever country he's assigned to, saying, into the streets of that, can let me tell you about the potluck that's happening at the embassy? And there's never no, there's no message at all to tell the community about the hope that's available through the values of America. That ambassador would not be on the field too long. But we can do that today. The last of all, as we wrap up, why does this even matter? Why does this matter? I believe people in every country of the world want to be part of a really good just and a really good kingdom. They want their government to function rightly, to bring about peace. Every political campaign promises it, doesn't it? I mean, every commercial, that's what they say. We want this. Paul even told Timothy that the goal is for every government to bring about a peaceful and a quiet life with all tranquility and dignity. That desire is within every single part. Our human heart craves it. Here's what takes place is our sinful heart begins to find replacements for God. This is why right now the political climate in America is so heated. See, for the kingdom of God, we have been engineered for only God, our creator, to fill the spot of his kingdom in us. 
But as we put individualistic as the priority, and as a society pushes God and the church to the side, it has a vacuum. And in the current climate of America, we've begun to see people seeking to replace the kingdom of God with local, state, and federal political ambitions. And therefore, that is right now why so much frustration is taking place because we have sought earthly kingdoms in order to fulfill the space that only God's kingdom was ever designed to fulfill. And tell me how many times of the last few years, counsel with countless pastors. And they say, Brian, I went, I preached, here's what scripture says, and people got ticked at me because in one sermon, somebody left the church because they were too conservative. Somebody else left the church because they're too liberal. In the same sermon. And they're an equal opportunity offender. And that's just because they're laying out what Scripture says. Why? Because often people's ultimate goal, if it's the local, the national, political kingdoms, it's never going to fulfill, it's going to frustrate, instead of the eternal kingdom that only God has designed for us. Let me just say this. If that attitude creeps into the church, People in the church will spend more time trying to align you to a political mindset than they do trying to align you to the kingdom of God. The last one, very quickly. Why does this matter? Nobody is kingdomless. I drove pretty much my daughter's car today. She's been driving it a bunch. Uh, but I have a, been driving it for many years. I have a 2002 Jeep Wrangler with over 200,000 miles on it, just kind of on over the place. Uh, I needed to teach my wife to drive it after having it for a long time. It's a standard. My daughter's awesome with it. My son's getting hang up, but my wife hates it. She's had to learn there's a such thing as neutral. And I've been, my, my prayer life has gone up. <laughs> what happens is all that you can be in gear or out of gear. We often have the same mindset when it comes to this, the kingdom of God. I can be for God or for evil, Satan, the things of this world, or neither. I can just be neutral. The scripture has said, you know what? There's actually no such thing as neutral in this whole topic of the kingdom of God. Colossians 1.13, it says this, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, every person in this world, you are either in the kingdom of darkness, Satan, sin, or you are in the kingdom of God, forgiven, citizens of heaven, saved. There's no neutral in between. I haven't done the stats for Baldwin County, I do know, though, across Escambia County, seven people die every single day without Christ. In the first four counties of the Panhandle, 15 people die every single day without Christ. Out of Escambia County, you got 321,905 residents. 60% of people there need Christ. And every couple of weeks, I get a call saying, Brian, we'd love to come to Pensacola on a mission trip. Can you help us? 
I don't know, it's similar over here. There are people all over America who want to come to your city on a mission trip. Let that sink in. Your home is somebody else's mission destination. And friends, nobody is kingdom-less. We have to be about telling the gospel. That's why Jesus came. And so we are to lovingly invite people to change their affiliation. Now I'll say this, should any church prioritize the kingdom under the church? Here's what often happens, is that the administration of the church is going to overtake the mission of the church. I found way too many churches that they've kept doing the administration, and the church, the biblical function of the church, stopped long ago. But God has called us to impact the community that the kingdom of God only can fulfill. If you don't, if you make it church kingdom, da, 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 instead of kingdom church, whatever, will happen the eternal impact of the kingdom of God. It will never be realized here in Alberta. And your family and friends, their eternal trajectory will never be altered. We don't want that. And so what do we do? We pray for the kingdom of God to come. We prioritize it and we pursue it. And then we proclaim it. That's our task. And when we do such, we know our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And ultimately, it's all about the kingdom. Kingdom Phylum Class Order Family Genius Species. May you as a church make it about the kingdom. In a moment, Nathan's going to come. Josh is going to be down here to do one final song before we head out. Maybe this morning you need to switch affiliations. You're like, I didn't know I was in this kingdom. I know I've never put my faith in Christ Jesus, but today you'd like to. Just at the end of the service, come or even to this next song, say, I'd like to put my faith in Christ Jesus to be a part of the kingdom of God. Can you show me how? Maybe you've done that. You love to anchor right here at this church. In order to accomplish the purposes of the kingdom of God through this community, come and just join this great church and what God has led you to do. We're here for the kingdom. May that be what we do for his glory. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.